Hello, and welcome to our latest Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. My name is Simon Lovegrove, and I am the Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge at Norton Rose Fulbright. I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Meakin and Albert Weatherall from our London Financial Services team. And in this podcast, Hannah and Albert will be sharing their thoughts on HM Treasury's recent response to its earlier consultation and call for evidence on the UK regulatory approach to crypto assets, stable coins, and distributed ledger technology in financial markets. Now, we've already posted on our Regulation Tomorrow blog an update on the HM Treasury response covering the key proposals in the document. But Albert, as my first question, for those who are who are not particularly familiar um, with this area, could I start by a very simple question? Could you just explain to our audience what a stable coin actually is? Thanks, Simon. And hi, everybody. So a stable coin principally is a form of crypto asset which tries to stabilize the volatility in its market value through various kind of pegging or reserve type mechanisms. So a common example is where a stable coin is pegged to a particular currency, usually sort of one for one. So the value of the stable coin always mimics the value of the relevant currency. And that means it's sort of stabilized at any one point in time. You can also find alternative models whereby the stable coin is pegged to a particular commodity. So it could be, for example, pegged to gold or, you know, copper or whatever it may be. Um, and also there are other forms of stable coin where the value is kind of algorithmically stabilized. So various algorithms kind of automatically adjust various market positions taken effectively to back off and stabilize the value of the coin. And the premise of this is that obviously, as we know with crypto assets, the volatility can be quite high. And when you have high volatility in an asset class, particularly where you're thinking about using that asset class as a medium of exchange and a store of value, it makes it quite difficult to appropriately benchmark how many of that crypto asset you may need for the, the you know to pay for certain things. And the logic, therefore, is that stable coin um, by you know maintaining a kind of you know USD one dollar value at any one point in time is facilitates you know payment of transactions. It facilitates the kind of lodging of collateral because the value is stable. So that's in in a nutshell what a stable coin is. Thanks for that, Albert. I just now want to move to the HM Treasury response. Um, Albert, do you think the response represents a new regulatory regime for stable coins or an adaptation of the existing regimes? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think in the context of the issuance of stable coins, which is what HMT are principally focused on. So, so just to back it up, the premise of this paper really is to bring stable coins, which are pegged or referable to a single currency or a basket of currencies into scope of our regulatory regime. And principally, the way we are going to do that is through an expansion of our existing e-money regime and as necessary, an expansion of the payment services regime to reflect payment services performed in relation to stable coins. So if you think about the e-money regulations, they are principally focused on the issuance of electronic money. And the government's view is that these single, you know, that stable coins that are referable to underlying fiat currency or baskets of currencies are in effect operating as if they are e-money. And so it is appropriate to expand that regime to address 
um, the issuance of stable coins. So, uh, you know, again, parties who are issuing stable coins will be subject to the same rules and requirements as authorized email institutions. They'll have that authorization requirement. They'll have the comments of business requirements, safeguarding with respect to any reserve of assets that's maintained. And also there is an expectation that the holder of the stable coin will have a contractual claim on the relevant issuer. And that's not always the case with stable coins if you read the terms and conditions. So if for that area, I think it's really an expansion of a regime that people are already familiar with, but to a new form of asset class in the, in the context of that regime. More broadly, there is also a push in the paper to the regulation of persons who are providing custodial wallet services to with respect to stable coins. Now, I think it's not entirely clear as of yet whether the government intends to legislate for that uh, you know, through a further amendment to the e-money regime. At the moment, the e-money regime, as I say, is principally focused on issuance of e-money. So it doesn't really address the kind of ancillary services that may arise in connection with e-money. So there's a question as to whether they expand that regime or whether there's a new regime altogether or whether we try to adapt, you know, our kind of safeguarding and administering investments under the RAO to reflect kind of stable coins as a form of asset class as a specified investment of the area which requires FCA approval. So at the moment, I think, you know, we, we've got a clear steer of an expansion of an existing regime, but it's slightly uncertain as to yet where we'll land on the rules for custodians of stable coins. Thanks, Albert. A quick follow-up question to that. What is your sense of the impact that the changes will bring? On the issuance, it'd be interesting. I mean, as we know with, in the crypto landscape, you know, some of these Stable coins are being issued by offshore entities. Um, you know, th these are global coins. You know, they, 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 they do not have necessarily a, a core link to any one particular jurisdiction unless you have the issuing entity incorporated there. There will be some that argue there isn't an issuing entity at all because a series of tokens or the coins are effectively mass minted uh, and then the ownership is spread very widely. So you, you don't have that core kind of issuance in the same way you have with e-money or you would have with kind of a, you know, a, a loan note or debenture or somewhere where you've got an entity taking on the relevant debt obligation or the contractual claim. And that's what I think is prompting to some degree the effort to try to tie this right to redeem your stable coin for the par value of the fiat to an issuer to try to impose that obligation on somebody. So on that sense, I think it's it's at the moment I'm I'm slightly unclear exactly as to how impactful this will be. I know there's the broader regime on you know the Bank of England having systemic oversight. I think right now the stable coins are not in a position to really be considered a systemic risk. But you know you could see in the future if if there is a rise in kind of GBP backed stable coins. Um, which you know are gaining popularity, you could see how that could become systemic and, and therefore on the Bank of England's radar, you know, as envisaged by this consultation response. I think the broader impact for me is going to be on those who custody stable coins. So there are many popular stable coins, you know, Tether, um, USD coin, we've got, you know, the Binance coin. There are a variety of stable coins out there which are gaining in popularity and are and are already a popular mechanic for you know, both retail investment and also institutional trading of crypto assets. And that means where there is popularity, there is inevitably a need to custody those coins. And there are a number of providers, exchanges, wallet providers who are doing that for their clients. So I think they're going to have to make a call whether or not they wish to continue to offer those services 
or you know and, and therefore seek the appropriate authorization to custody uh, you know tether for example or whether they wish to you know effectively drop those coins from the platform in an effort to ensure they're not caught by the relevant regulatory regime. So I think all in all, I think there will be some soul searching across issuers of e-money, sorry, issuers of stable coins to really assess whether these provisions are going to be as impactful, you know, as the government envisages. But I certainly think there is a broader impact across the exchange and custodian community, and there'll be some decisions to be made as to, you know, the su supporting certain coins post the implementation of these rules. Thanks, Albert. And Hannah, if I could just turn to you now. Um, my first question to you is this. What do you think is driving this policy change at this time? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because some people might look at stable coins and say, well, these are the least risky of crypto assets on the basis that the, the reserve is creating some uh, stability um, against the volatility that exists in relation to other cryptocurrencies. Um, and so why start off with stable coins? But actually, I think there are a few um, reasons behind it, which which have a lot of sense <laughs> in them. So the first is that the, um, as Albert mentioned earlier, stable coins have a lot of commonality to uh, e-money. And so they are arguably closest to the existing regulatory perimeter of the various types of cryptocurrencies. And so in, in many ways are a logical place to start. And I think there is a feeling that the clarity and certainty that will come from this regulation would also help to improve um, enhancements in the uh, functionality and competition in payments more generally, which can only be a good thing for the consumer. So, so I think that's the first reason. The second reason, I guess, relates to really to risk. Um, so obviously there are risks in relation to stable coins, um, one of them being the the, the way in which the reserves are held and the fact that that perhaps requires um, more regulation than exists in, in all instances today. And so that's partly what these proposals are addressing, as, as Albert mentioned earlier. But then from a more macro perspective, the, um, the kind of the risk that we've got stable coins ha having such a you know, huge potential in relation to payments at all different kind of levels of the system. So not just in the wholesale um, arrangements, but also for retail purposes and for potentially quite small payments. And so, um, you know, all of that makes, uh, helps to make cryptocurrencies and stable coins in particular more mainstream and therefore quite potentially quite systemic um, and potentially quite quickly. And so I think that is another important reason for, um, prioritizing them um, and I think you know this is especially this this um, likelihood I think became quite apparent to regulators around the world when Facebook um, kind of launched the, uh, the the Libra coin and and so I think there's also a bit of an element of kind of global reg regulators around the world kind of really acting a little bit in coordination here in terms of prioritizing stable coins and their regulation um, perhaps above other types of cryptocurrencies. They, they've seen that there's a need to do so. And um, I think they are um, you know, talking to each other in making sure that that happens. And then um, I think though the other thing to just kind of keep in mind is that this is only the next phase of regulation of crypto assets. And you know, we're already talking about the, the, the stages beyond that potentially. 
So there's um, a reference to the you know, a, a potential further consultation on the regulation of crypto as a means of investment uh, later this year. And of course, we already have a number of initiatives going on um, in relation to regulation of cryptocurrency in, in parallel to all of this. So, um, so, so I think you know the, the next, perhaps the next step is in relation to stable coins, but it's by no means the only thing that's happening. Thanks, Hannah. I just want to stick with Horizon Scanning for the moment. Um, what do you think is around the corner for crypto asset regulation in the UK? So, I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting year for crypto regulation this year. Um, I think, you know, last year, um, I, we probably said the same after we saw the Khalifa review. And, uh, and, and there was a lot of energy and enthusiasm as a result of that. But I think maybe some of it dwindled slightly as we saw delays in the AML registration process. And some of the proposals on financial promotion were uh, released and, and they looked quite onerous. But I think the recent speech from John Glenn and the response from HM Treasury have given a bit of a reaffirmation of the UK's commitment to fintech, as well as some clarity as to the approach in terms of direction of travel and prioritisation. And I think I hope that that will kind of re-energise re and um, provide uh, some re renewed positivity um, on the way forward. In terms of um, you know particular things that that to call out, I would I would mention you know in addition to all the things that Albert's talked about earlier, um, the thing that I would kind of mention is the um, <clears throat> the commitment to move ahead with the sandbox for financial market infrastructures that want to use uh, distributed ledger technology or other technologies. So the idea of this sandbox is that it would be a place where those um, market participants in that sector could test the new technologies and structures in order to uh, provide and innovate the services that they already provide. Um, and to the extent that there are existing rules or regulations that are acting as a barrier to being able to do that, then they, you know, those rules could potentially be, be modified while they're operating in this sandbox. And part of the reason for doing that is to help the government and regulators to understand how that legislation and regulation perhaps needs to be modified um, into the future. And I think that it's already anticipated that there could be some enhancements to uh, regulation required in some areas to recognise new concepts, such as smart contracts or private wallets and keys. Um, but equally, there may need to be some adjustments um, and perhaps even flexibility in relation to other existing requirements. So I think the, you know, that, that sandbox um, will be really interesting to see how it operates in practice and, and what results from it. But the, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that in some ways it looks a little bit like the pilot regime for MTFs and CSDs um, that want to use DLT um, in Europe. But the, I think that the idea in the UK is actually intended to be a bit broader because it's not just um, intended for uh, DLT, but to be able to use it with other technologies. And um, I think the idea is it could be a bit more flexible in terms of the type of infrastructure that could use it. So I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, my thanks to Hannah and Albert for sharing their, their thoughts and insights. We will, of course, be closely following development. So do keep an eye out for future podcasts and updates on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.